This is State of Water. This is State of Water. This is State of Water. State of Water coming at you right now. State of Water, a podcast focusing on clean water issues and their relationship to policy, equity, community, and climate. Featuring captivating interviews with Michiganders from many walks of life, State of Water is the official podcast of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan, a program of the nonprofit organization Title Track. Hey, this is Jenny from Title Track. If you resonate with what you're about to hear, put those feelings into action. Take the first step toward getting involved by going to titletrackmichigan.org slash contact to sign up for our mailing list. Thank you so much for joining us. We're honored to have you with us as we continue this work. We're excited to share our new plan to drop an episode of State of Water every Wednesday at noon. We would very much appreciate your help in broadening our reach. So if you dig this episode, please rate, Review, subscribe, and share with your social media community. On today's episode, we continue our mission to connect clean water issues to the work of racial justice, and we're honored to lift up the work and message of a -a one-of-a-kind community hero. Naira Sharif is a grassroots organizer based in Flint, Michigan. They have nearly a decade of experience organizing around local, state, and national campaigns. Naira was one of the founders of the Flint Democracy Defense League, a grassroots group formed to confront Flint's emergency manager in 2011. They have been featured on Democracy Now!, Al Jazeera, and Netroots Nation, speaking out about the poisoning of Flint's water and Michigan's emergency management of local governments. They are currently the director of Flint Rising, a coalition of Flint residents and community groups, labor and progressive allies that formed in response to the Flint water crisis. Here to interview Naira is Seth Bernard. So Naira, thank you so much for joining me today. It's uh, it's great to you know be able to talk to you and um, and to keep up with what you're doing. Thank you first and foremost for for all of your your servant leadership and dedication through the years and and currently through COVID. I'd love to just go right into it here. You know the the lead in water crisis is unresolved in Flint. Uh, water is still unaffordable. Now we have this massive public health crisis and Flint is more vulnerable than other communities. 5,000 people in Flint still have their water shut off despite an executive order from the governor to turn everyone's water back on. Can you update us about what the situation is like on the ground in Flint? I mean, really, it's, it's still like a hot mess, you know, to be honest. We still have, you know, people without running water. And, like, how can you stop the spread of communicable disease? 
um, when people don't have running water so they can wash their hands. Um, you know, even though, you know, it's not as bad um, locally as it was at the very beginning of the stay-at-home order because with panic buying, there was like no water to be found and there was no water to be given away. And we still have, you know, several households, like even beyond, you know, the the 5,000 people who do not have running water, there are still several thousand more people whose um, service line hasn't been replaced and they're still afraid of their water. So they've been purchasing bottled water to meet their daily needs. And Mm. that water basically evaporated overnight. Mm. Mm. So you're the executive director of Flint Rising. And I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about what Flint Rising is and how it came to be and also how folks can support Flint Rising, if you would. Sure. Um, Flint Rising is a base building, um, movement building, people, people nurturing um, yeah. nonprofit, advocacy nonprofit that formed uh, in February of 2016. And this was like fairly soon after a lot of the um, the, emer- the emergency declarations um, because of the public health crisis around lead and water passed in January. So the state and then the federal government, you know, passed these emergency uh, declarations. Unfortunately, we never got a disaster declaration because mm. According to the Federal Stafford Act, um, this was caused by people and not an act of God. So, um, unfortunately, we had to deal with many of the agencies who were responsible for uh, creating um, our lead and water crisis, which began with the loss of democracy because we were under state receivership and really began with a, a canvas in the undocumented Spanish-speaking community. Mm-hmm. And it began because, like, even though, like, I personally was seeing things that were extremely questionable, um, <laughs> just realizing that the state, um, it took this canvas to realize that the state was still using, you know, this crisis to abuse residents. And initially... I thought that now the world knows because we had to fight for like almost two years to get an acknowledgement that there was a problem with our water in Flint because before we were dealing with the water affordability crisis, we are paying the highest rates in the nation. Mm. And one of the state-appointed emergency managers Um, was arresting people for turning water on their own. And we had no idea at the same time we were also dealing with a water quality crisis that was going to be so devastating to our community. And um, we realized that um, with this this canvas, that the undocumented Spanish-speaking community or the Spanish-speaking community in general did not know that there was a crisis. Mm. And so there were these... Um, declarations that went out and it became worldwide news 
and their families were calling from their countries of origin to tell them to not drink the water. And that's when we realized, um, as part of the activists, we did not have anybody that was representing those communities. But you have these assumptions as far as communications that like messages are being communicated in all the languages that people speak in your community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's about, you know, 10,000 total Spanish-speaking people who live in Flint. Mm-hmm. And they did not know that there was a crisis. And we had to translate some of these materials and actually go door to door to tell them to not drink the water and to not boil the water. Mm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the conventional wisdom, if something's around your water, you boil it and you kill bacteria. But, you know, um, you mm-hmm. can kill bacteria and viruses. But with heavy metals, you're basically concentrating the... Um, the, the metals and then um, with some of the chemicals that were in our water, um, like boiling the water actually made it worse because it was releasing the total trihalomethanes, um, mm. which is six times more deadly if it's released via steam. And, you know, breathing it in, it can cause significant damage to your lungs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what we kind of discovered with canvassing and we were, you know, constantly canvassing. And then we realized that the um, National Guard, <laughs> that the governor, that Governor Schneider activated to hand out water at the fire stations. They're requiring a photo ID um, to a Michigan photo ID, which, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily have a photo ID for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, In Michigan, um, if you have not had your gender affirming surgery, like your photo ID will have your dead name. And so you have people who are trans who may not want to show that, you know, show their dead name. Mm -hmm. That like the life that they live and how they see themselves. Um, also, because of like previous laws, like you have to have like all these materials to get your photo ID. And people may not have all of that mm-hmm. um, because of the cause. Like if you don't, if you were born in Flint, you have to get, you have to have your birth certificate and that could be difficult um, depending on where you're from. And uh, in, also in Michigan, if you're not, a U.S. citizen or uh, or a permanent resident, like you can't get a, a photo ID. So you know, like there's a variety of reasons, and then also because of the National Guard. If you're a veteran, you have PTSD. Seeing people with full regalia is kind of funky, could be triggering. And then uh, finally. You know, like, this was water that was not purchased by the state. This was water that was donated by celebrities, yet they were making this as how this water was going to go out. And you did not need to show and demonstrate, uh, your, your, like, proof of residency or have show a photo ID to be poisoned. Like, you were just getting poisoned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had to receive some of the the things that people were advocating for the recovery process. Like, you had to show your your photo ID. And then also in Flint, 
And so, like, our postal codes does not, like, reflect the entire, you know, like, the municipality of Flint mm-hmm. because our postal codes go beyond our, our boundaries. Most of the people who lived outside of Flint were, that, that has a Flint postal code, were not on Flint water. So it wasn't like you, like, with that particular, you know, decision, didn't necessarily, like, get, like, what they necessarily wanted and it was just crazy it was just totally crazy so we we just realized that there were a lot of uh, populations who were being abused and um and you know there are these opportunistic just horrific things that are happening in our community as well because um like for the undocumented spanish-speaking community because they did not have a photo id they were still going, they were going to grocery stores to purchase water. And ICE was like hanging out in the parking lot and do, and conducting ICE raids as people were leaving the grocery store. Mm. Um, we had, you know, our county sheriff was um, having people who were on work release in the county jail deliver water. And they were also serving warrants <laughs> and, and like removing people like from their homes. So, mm-hmm. so they're knocking on the door and they're asking you like 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 your name and then like oh well here's your water and then also like you need a warrant out for your arrest so you can come with us you know so mm-hmm. so this is this was just like you know just like absolutely horrific and so um like we began basically like giving factual information, but then also, you know, we, we felt like we need to like start calling folks out and then dealing with a lot of trauma, you know, cause you have folks who believe the messages that the state, you know, through the city of Flint, um, that they were, um, sending out there because the state was constantly saying that the water was safe to drink. And um, and those messages were repeated, like in city offices and on the news and our local news, and you know, like we had the mayor actually drink the water, like on our local news, and the mayor had no power because his power was 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 taken away from this the emergency manager, but he went on the local news and drank the water. Um, so this was just like. You had people like who were who were like traumatized because they're like we believe, you know, the state and they lied to us. And now, mm-hmm. you know, like you had people who, you know, was traumatized and had a lot of of guilt because they're like I poisoned my children. Mm. And I can see that they're acting, they're behaving differently. Mm. <laughs> you know, water is life. You know, seventy percent of our body is water. You know. Like, we can't survive, you know, without drinking water. Mm-hmm. And so you had, you know, parents who, you know, were, you know, in normal circumstances, right, by encouraging your, your loved ones to drink water to stay hydrated. But this was something that, that was poisoning them. Yeah. And there, there was, like, no reconciliation around that. Yeah. And so six six years of navigating this, still nobody's been held criminally liable. And and you, to me, Naira, you embody what 
I think we need to see a whole lot more of in this world, and that's servant leadership. You're a, a true frontline community leader. You do what's what's needed. You go door to door. You're organizing protests. You're doing all this writing and messaging and communications behind the scenes. From what I can tell, you, you, you very rarely are like willingly trying to get yourself on camera, unlike a lot of people who do stuff for Flint, especially celebrities and journalists. But you'll do it if, if it's required, you know, as a, as a representative, as a true, you know, servant of the people. And you're also advocating for policy changes at the local and state and federal level and entering those spaces. Um, we were on a call through, the, through Policy Link um, with Rashida Tlaib, and this phenomenon came up um, of how there's a lot of energy and money pouring into researching what has happened in Flint and in Detroit. And I remember in the chat, you said you're tired of being researched, which was really, you know, striking to me um, because it's, it's something that we have as a society, we've, we've been able to bear witness to the failures of leadership that have led to the crisis and all of this energy that has gone into blaming the lack of accountability and studying, you know, the symptoms of a problem, but not enough people are actually working on it in the way that you have and the way that Flint Rising has shown up. So my question is, at this moment in time, what does solidarity look like? Like if you could design you know, a, a plan for solidarity and resistance with the people of Flint for, for everybody to follow. Um, w w I mean, in addition to like writing big checks for Flint Rising, which I recommend all of our, our listeners do. But what does that look like at this moment in time, Naira? Um, I mean, like right now in this moment, and it's crazy because... You know, like, I worked as an organizer before um, Flint Rising, and one of those, I mean, it actually was, like, working working in research. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, like, one of the things that, you know, like, I had to take away of working, you know, like, with the Flint water crisis and before that, the democracy crisis in Flint, mm -hmm. um, now it's been about nine years, is that this is, like, very dynamic and it's something that I've never done in my entire life because it's one thing when you're coming in and you're trying to, you know, build capacity in community and you're not directly impacted <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, versus, like, you know, like, I would say, like, you know, toxic communities, frontline communities around environmental justice when you are impacted as well. Mm -hmm. So that is very different because it's just like you got sick like everybody else, that you're dealing with your own health issues yeah. like everybody else. And now you're working <laughs> and living it at the same time, which is like, you know, not necessarily the norm when it comes to, like, doing this type of work. Um but it's very dynamic and that's something that I feel like is really, you know, has trained me, so to speak, you know, like now dealing with this global pandemic where there's like things that like just change, like, you know, with the press conference. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, so, I mean, like right now, like, you know, in the Heroes Act, like, 
there is a moratorium on federal water shutoffs. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, like everybody needs a mandatory reconnection. That's something that everybody needs because um, that's something that's going to like lift all boats um, in many communities across the country. Um, and I would say like right now, before the pandemic, like we we're really working on like water affordability and we, mm-hmm. you know, we're working with some of the big, you know, national organizations, so National Wildlife Federation had released this, um, this report around a legal impacts of water affordability in Michigan. And it basically, you know, like, it's like there are no legal impediments for having an income-based water affordability plan. And we know that this is like the big struggle and the big fight, you know, so that, that we're faced with on top of like, you know, all the random like EJ stuff that'll just happen because like corporations are evil. <laughs> so uh, we were we were a lot of corporation evil, but um, <laughs> there there may be some good. There are there are a couple of good ones out there, but um, but we were that's what we were like really working on. Um, so I would say like for me right now, solidarity. First of all, like Flint is not over um because like there there still needs to be like at least a billion more dollars invested in just flint to replace um the infrastructure and you know like what just happened earlier this week in midland is like proof positive that we need you know a trillion dollar, at least multi-trillion dollar, like infrastructure package because we don't know <laughs> like what's gonna happen. You know, one of the things, you know, in Flint, like I mean, like we lost democracy, but if we didn't have like already crumbling infrastructure, you know, like <laughs> we 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 wouldn't have had lead pipes. You know, like yeah. if it was like actual reinvestment, like we wouldn't have even had the lead pipes. We would have still lost our democracy. We we would have still been abused in that way, but it wouldn't been, you know, like the lead and all this stuff. And like, we still don't have our water mains replaced. And so that's something that we're still kind of, kind of fighting. And that's something that's going to be bigger than flat because like our, our bridges, our dams, our water mains, I mean, that stuff, like we can't be like the greatest country on earth when the last, like, when we have, like, the age of these things being, like, over 50 years old. Right. Like, just because, like, we're driving on them or they're invisible doesn't mean that they last forever. Um, so, yeah. so just thinking about, like, you know, 50 years ago, we didn't have cell phones, and now we got cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, it's just, like, it's, it's just totally, it's just totally crazy, so... For me, like outside of like supporting Foot Rising now is like, you know, we really need to deal with some of these. I mean, a lot of these things that like even more things that have come to like, you know, as become part of the national discourse, like through COVID is like there really needs to be actual investment into our infrastructure 
because like if we could send billions of dollars like on war yeah and then we're not spending that level of stuff to invest in our people like our priorities are like totally jacked up because this is gonna you know it's gonna impact everybody you know it's gonna be a massive jobs program for folks you know they're gonna be able to work for years um you know rebuilding like this infrastructure you're not gonna have dams breaking or like bridges just falling on people like when they're in their cars (laughs) like you like if there is like massive like rebuilding and replacing like all of this stuff you won't have it like how it is now which um, like after the the lead and water crisis in Flint, you had all of these schools who were popping up with like lead in their water, and that's mm-hmm. because those superintendents were just curious. They made the decision that they want to test the lead in the school's water, and it's not required for them to even test. Like mm-hmm. it was just some activist superintendent, mm-hmm. and that's crazy when you have like you know the majority of the mm-hmm. children's you know, day is spent in school and and they're drinking basically like lead poison water that's going to have a, a adverse impact on their quality of life later on. Yeah. And it's probably having an adverse impact of their behavior in school. Yeah. After years of drinking like lead tainted water, you know, like we're already seeing it now because we're grappling with the long term impacts, you know, of what does it actually mean and it's something that's gonna we're gonna need like for the long term because you know last year our state reading proficiency test 10% of Flint um, students third grade students were proficient at reading at the third grade level and these were kids that were two and three when the when when in drinking like lead tainted water mm-hmm. um, I mean and this is stuff that I'll say people in public health and researchers and and a lot of that research was funded by the federal government, the majority of it was, that they've known for years and years and years. Mm. And there hasn't been any sort of movement. And it's just like because it's not a priority, like these tax breaks and bailouts and all this stuff. And, you know, like we need a people bailout. Yeah. <laughs> like, Wall Street has now been built out twice. <laughs> Some right. of these industries have, like, they're probably going to come back for another bailout. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like, people have not been bailed out. And the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, like, during crisis, and this is something that, you know, like, from the flood water crisis, like, during crises, you know, people, which is crazy. So, like, even though a crisis impacts people, people are the last ones on the list to get any sort of recovery. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? And, it, and it's, I mean, you're, you're getting at just the need for massive structural change and, and really like a, a, a movement from the ground up to, to shift what our cultural values are and and what our leadership structure does. And obviously we've seen this collusion between big business and um, elected leaders for a long time that has kind of become normalized. And um, 
And with emergency management, which, you know, Flint, Flint and Detroit and Benton Harbor are all, have all been completely exploited under emergency management, that's just a complete undermining of democracy itself and sort of like beta testing this um, new world order and, and, and then the subsequent disasters that have happened in all those communities as a result of it. You know, racial capitalism... And, and so and you, know, you talk about corporations and, and it's like the design of a corporation is such that it, it, it is endlessly, insatiably hungry for more and will um, extract to maintain profit. And like a, a model of extraction just doesn't work with the way that social ecological systems need to survive. And that's the basis of our survival as human beings in any community, as a species. And so, like, yeah, we're, we're subsidizing the existence of industries that exploit and extract human systems and natural systems, and then we're not reinvesting in communities and, and centering the needs of most vulnerable and so, like, the failure of government has resulted in this rise in grassroots efforts and nonprofit, you know, the nonprofit sector filling the gaps that government has failed. And, you know, we're all trying to change that. I know you're trying to change it every day. And uh, we, we're in great community with a lot of people who are working on this. And so um, the, the MI COVID community has, has come to rise. And this is another coalition of all these grassroots groups. And a couple of weeks ago, you invited me to be a part of this all-day telethon, action-a-thon. Um, can, you, can you tell our listeners about uh, MI COVID community and what the telethon was and, and how folks can get involved with this effort? Yeah, so uh, My COVID Community is a coalition of like over 100 grassroots, um, multi-issue organizations across the state um, basically signed onto this platform uh, right after the stay-at-home orders in Michigan. And it was just saying like, this is what a just, you know, like what a just response would look like. So uh, individuals around environmental justice, including water and utilities, housing, um, abolitionists, like mm-hmm. uh, civil rights, economic justice, disability rights, you know, like all kind of came together and, and basically signed onto this platform. And by signing onto the platform, you know, like you're invited to participate, you know, like, <laughs> so in April, we had like this week of action because we knew that um, around April 30th, the state, our state legislature was going to come, going to, going to reconvene. And we knew that, you know, we did not have things in place to have this lifted. So we were like organizing, trying to highlight like the issues that people have been fighting for and like, and, and, and highlighting like, this is what's needed um, during this, during, you know, during this thing. So like people like don't, shouldn't have to worry about, you know, being evicted (laughs) and, and you can't really social distance in jail. So people should be released from jail. And so it was just like all of these different things and like people who, who are, who are disabled 
like should not be the last one shouldn't be sent out to die when they are going to the hospital and be made like a low priority when they do get sick um, <laughs> so it's just like all of these things that people were um trying to like lift up and then like we had no idea that there was going to be like all of these protests with with people who aren't really centering like health <laughs> at the Capitol. So it felt like by the time April, April 30th came around, like we had like, I would say a pretty decent contrast. So like we had like this eight hour telethon um, over Zoom, uh, which was like super cool. Uh, so it was like from 12 to eight and you know like it was musicians and thank you so much for participating and um, for folks to kind of like learn you know more things <laughs> we had special guests like Naomi Klein and Kerry Washington and we had like our state um I would say our state rock stars mm-hmm. um, where people have been holding down you know some of this movement work for years like uh, Monica Lewis Patrick down in Detroit, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, folks up north like Owen, who lives in, in Lee Chatfield's district, and Daniel Atkinson. And it was like super cool that having like all of these people who you know been holding it down in their own work and us coming together to make something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, it was amazing. And very exhausting <laughs> at the same time. Um, it's like, you know, like I taught people how to crochet. Yes. And people probably did not know that, you know, I used to do community enrichment classes. And I taught like young people and, and elders how to crochet because mm. the whole great activity and it's a social activity and it's fun. And it's relatively cheap to get started. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. And it was it was put together on really short notice. I think it's important for people to recognize that, you know, a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff, it's like people have an idea and they put it together. You called me with a couple days notice and I said, yeah, I'm interested. And you're like, okay, I'll have an answer for you like late tonight. And y'all got on a meeting at like 10 p.m. And then at 1 a.m. I got a text that's like, okay, we're on. This is happening in, you know, 36 hours or whatever. (laughs) And so a lot of times people see a need, we come together and we just make it happen and we kind of make it up as we go along. And it's just beautiful to see, like you said, all these folks that have been in the work for a long time and are in it now coming together to create something beautiful that was accessible for people to tap into and participate in. And, and then you had these like national, you know, leaders touching in as well. And yeah, huge contrast, you know, really centering justice and and public health. So my COVID community, community, MI COVID community, people can find it. And, and we, the people of Michigan, um, is a great group to follow just to keep up with all of that as well. Yeah, so the website for uh, my COVID community is micovidcommunity.com and you can um, sign on to the platform <clears throat> and by signing on to the platform you can decide on like how how interested um, you want to be because like even though we have like a bunch of groups 
like this is a big umbrella and a big tent and we can have like groups and individuals because there's some people who aren't um who are involved who aren't like affiliated with an organization and if it's something that you're passionate about and um have some interest for like hop on board awesome um i have a couple more questions for you naira just in in a more like uh personal history uh context here I'm interested in in knowing myself um, just a a little bit more about how you got involved and you touched on like doing community enrichment classes, Um, but how, how you, you know, became the, the rock star organizer that you are like origin stories, who were some of your heroes? What were some like motivating moments in your life that helped you um, step into your calling here? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I would say, like, what what I initially set out to do was not nowhere near this. Um, <laughs> I was, you know, just, like, went to school, was a super nerd. I love, like, my fantasy and science fiction books. I actually still love my fantasy and science fiction books. <laughs> but um, I actually went to school, um, you know, wanting to be a physician and very quickly realized that I'm squeamish and so kind of bounced around the science field for a bit and settled on computer science and I worked as a software engineer and um and like basically my first job like I realized that I was not feeling fulfilled and uh and so, like, trying to figure out, like, what am I going to do? Like, how I'm going to find, like, my, 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 like, an outlet for me to be fulfilled. So I was like, all right. Like, I had a friend that I went to school with um, who was doing, like, uh, you know, like a children's after school program. And she needed a tutor. She needed a STEM tutor. And I was like, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll do the math, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll do the math and science. I'm good at math and science and I'll come on in. And so I did that and that was like really cool. Just like, you know, like working with kids and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, like just basically working with kids. And um, and that, and I felt like that was, you know, giving me life. Mm. Once I decided I didn't want to be an engineer anymore through a lot of different, you know, combination of like health issues, like, you know, I got really bad carpal tunnel, and even though I was had like voice di- dictation software, it was still like a whole lot. And you know, I didn't I didn't want to get the surgery because the surgery at the time was not that great. I don't think it still is that great. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it still has like a very high success rate. But um, but after that, you know, made the decision to volunteer for Planned Parenthood, and then eventually work for Planned Parenthood, and. A bunch of other statewide and national groups and and then um you know not being fulfilled in that way because i actually want to work in my community and like <laughs> well, it's still true but most of the time it's like going into like upper middle class white neighborhoods and not like neighborhoods that i live in which is you know on the poor, poor and black and brown neighborhoods. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I got out of organizing. I got out of, like, that, like, formal structure for a bit and worked for uh, University of Michigan School of Public Health and their Youth Violence Prevention Center, which did community-based research. Mm-hmm. So I did that and kind of got read out of that because I guess I was too wild. I was too centering. I was too much centering, like, the young people that I was working with. <laughs> Um, and so then um you know after that kind of like went back and did like combination like my day job was working in public health and kind of like my volunteerism was doing capacity building and facilitation in the community um capacity building for like block clubs and teaching how to run meetings and how to organize and you know, do accountability, like make sure people are accountable for their things and conflict resolution and all these things. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like what I was doing when we lost uh, democracy in Flint. Mm -hmm. And I made the decision because I was like, wow, this is going to take like all of my time. And so I made, so I basically like gave up on everything else um, and I was actually, at that time, I was, like, starting to feel burnt out. So I was like, I mean, I don't want to do organizing anymore. And I was, like, really, like, in the middle of kind of, like, exiting that um opening up a bakery because I had created, like, a home-based bakery. And it was, like, really, really good. Like, I was baking bread. And, you know, when the water crisis happened... Like, I couldn't do that anymore because, like, you need, like, really good water to <laughs> to bake bread. Mm-hmm. So, so I was like, well, damn it, you know? <laughs> like, I gotta, <laughs> gotta go back. Like, I, they keep on pulling me back in, you know? <laughs> pulling me back into organizing. So I was, like, you know, like, organizing with that because I was, you know, just because, like, it's here. And it's really like impacted me because I was like, in, in, in the in the, like on my way to closing on a building, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and trying to get a loan to like, you know, like remodel and everything so I could actually have like an actual physical location for my bakery. It was like it was so it was crazy. So, mm. so like you know, like organizing and then doing like. The water crisis stuff, and then I was chosen, you know, like, I help was one of the co-founders of Flint Rising, was not really interested in being involved in any paid capacity, because we were um, trying to fundraise so we could, like, pay staff, because usually what happens is, like, you'll have, you know, like, these crises that happen, and then, like, the groups, like, there may be some groups that are doing grassroots stuff, but then... Like, once the money is fundraised around it, it's, like, groups on the outside who come in and do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Who don't, don't have, like, a history or or live in that community, like, come in and and do that work. So, you know, we're trying to do something different. And then I was like, all right, you know, I was convinced by, you know, like, like one of my friends. And I was like, all right, well... I'll just get my CV together just to round out the applicants. Like, I wasn't really interested in doing that. And then, like, when they asked me, I was like, man, I wasn't really trying to do this. I got to think about it. 
because this is going to be a more longer term commitment and I was really trying to get out of like organizing <laughs> and so yeah here I am again you know mm-hmm. being an organizer and being an administrator which they are not mutually exclusive right <laughs> right so um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a different. It's a different skill set. Like even though you're, like, you're an organized, like you, I've worked, you know, like 15 years as an organizer, and mm-hmm. you know, like a good organizer is like you organizing your way out of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, like you want to be deemed superfluous, so you no longer get paid. Like not really interested. You know, like I'm not interested in Flint Rising to be around for like 30 years. You know, <laughs> I'm not mm-hmm. trying to be the next, you know, local green or big green, um, because hopefully like we're going to do, you know, like there'll be a bunch of groups doing their jobs. So some of these uh, structure policy shifts will be resolved. So mm-hmm. there won't be a need for Flint Rising, you know, because like now I may have to push this to my retiree years of opening up a bakery. Like, I still want to do that. Now we're talking. <laughs> yes. I still want to sling some bread, though. Like, it's very therapeutic, which I'm pretty sure a lot of people are feeling how therapeutic baking bread is now during the quarantine. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> it's therapeutic, like, punching bread, punching dough. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear that. I'm, I hold that vision with you, too. Like, um... It's, I mean, it's good that we have this work to do, but it's also like, it's not what we want to have to keep doing. We, we want to create the structural change and help be a catalyst to make, um, make ourselves irrelevant. Um, and that's, that's kind of like what I've been explaining to my daughter too. It's like, well, you know, this work is important, but hopefully someday, if not in my lifetime in her lifetime, we, we won't have to do it in the same way. Now we're, we're, we're needing to change the world and create justice and, and work for it. And in the meantime, you know, we have to have some things that keep us resilient. We have to have these self-care practices. And, and for me, uh, being a musician, I, I have like this musical process and I've got instruments around me. Even just looking at them while I'm doing organizing and admin work can be resourcing. And um, I'm curious to know more about your musical taste Naira and, and like some of your like musical heroes, maybe younger in, 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 in your lifespan, some albums that really influenced you um, and, and what you're listening to these days. Okay. Um, so before I go into that, I'm always like, you know what? I really hate the term self-care. Mm. You know what? Because it's just like, oh, you got to have self-care. And it's like, we're talking about self-care, but really, like, it's about exploitation. And we're being exploited. Mm. You know? <laughs> like, I was, I was like, well, self-care is a union, man. Like, if we actually had, especially in something that always kind of lingers in nonprofit spaces. But I'm like, because they're not, they're not unionized. Yeah. <laughs> and if we had, like, these practices that you know, like, you don't have this expectation that, I mean, people are kind of dealing with now. It's just like, why are you working 12 hours a day? Mm. You know, (laughs) like, 
what's up with that? Are you getting paid to work 12 hours a day? And you're not. And like, and what's your benefits looking like and all this other stuff, you know? So even though I do do self-care, you know, like during the quarantine, I've, uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've re-embraced crochet. I made a blanket for my nephew. And I would say like, I like listening to like all types of music. I know, like, it no longer exists in Flint now, but I just remember, like, when I was, like, in college, or right after college, there was kind of, like, this collective called Creative Alliance, the Greater Flint Creative Alliance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, the Creative Alliance, and then slash the Greater Flint Creative Alliance. Um, That was, like, kind of like a collection of musicians and spoken word artists and visual artists and graphic artists and dancers and we just kind of like all collectively like just did work together um so i like came up like as a spoken word artist Mm. slash spoken word artist well writer then poet then spoken word artist and so for me writing is always a way for me to to process um like life And that was, like, really one of the things, like, as an organizer, I'm like, I'm writing all this revolutionary stuff. I'm going to see if I can make it happen in real life. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, like, that kind of gave me confidence to actually be an organizer and actually start doing stuff in real life. So, like, with the Creative Alliance, you know, like, just, like, really enjoying, like, local music. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, like, for me, it just depends on the mood, on what mood I'm in, as far as, like, what music I listen to. So, when I write, it's classical music, mm. because, like, when I was, like, from elementary until, like, early college, I played classical music. I played, like, the clarinet, and I played the bassoon, mm. the trumpet. And as an adult, I revisited, well, I learned, like, the ukulele. Like, I half-assed tried to teach myself how to play the mandolin, but it's not not really going that great. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, yeah, I guess it just depends. Uh, Like, when I do housework, it's, like, maybe, like, funk or, or jazz. If it's contemplation, like, you know, like lo-fi or kind of like folk music. Mm-hmm. So it kind of depends, you know. If I want to like dance, it's probably like, you know, like trap music or rap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it just, it just depends on my mood. Well, maybe, maybe we could trade. I could give you mandolin lessons in exchange for like crocheting lessons. Oh yes, that would be amazing. <laughs> okay, I got I got one more question for you, and this is this is subjective, but the question is: Captain James Tiberius Kirk or Captain Jean Luc Picard? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Um, I guess like. I'm going to have to go with Picard because Picard <laughs> is the GOAT, you know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Man, awesome. Well, Naira, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all your work. I, I'm so excited for um, continued collaborations and just know that 
title track and the clean water campaign are always here for support or collaboration and and on a personal level to really look forward to continuing our conversations and collaborations and and so grateful you know that you're doing what you're doing and being so generous with your community and 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 with your collaborators thank you thank you and i forgot to plug my own organization i'm plugging everything else uh if you like to donate or learn more about Flint Rising, you can go to www.flint-rising.com slash donate. Yes, yes. Go there now, folks. Beautiful. Thank you, Nair. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Woo! State of Water is powered by the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. This campaign represents an opportunity to help place clean water issues front and center by partnering with environmental organizations across the state, by educating voters, and by urging every candidate running for public office to make a strong stand on critical issues affecting Michigan's waters. Using storytelling and music events across the state to amplify the groundswell of public support for clean water issues, this campaign is driven by Michiganders from all walks of life, who share a similar priority, protection of our water. Both State of Water and the Clean Water Campaign are programs of the Michigan-based nonprofit Title Track. Their mission, engaging creative practice to build resilient social ecological systems that support clean water, racial equity, and youth empowerment. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe, stay engaged, and we'll see you on Wednesday. If what you've heard in this episode resonates with you, take the first step to getting involved. Go to titletrackmichigan.org and click Contact to sign up for our mailing list. Don't miss an episode. Tune in next time.